0: This is Eric Johnson here with my brother Derek for another edition of Running Into the Fog. And this time we've got a fantastic guest back with us, Jeff Meyer. But more importantly, his lovely wife, Amy, is joining us on whatever number this is, Derek. What number of podcasts are we up to? This is episode 26, and we expect it's going to come out to the market
1: around our 27th anniversary here at Aurora WDC, wow. being about February 1st. Wow, amazing. Well, welcome,
0: thank you it's been a a long and happy marriage so far indeed that's right well speaking of long and happy marriages amy and jeff how are you guys today
2: doing really well thank you
3: yeah doing great thanks for having us
0: i will say that amy has significantly improved the aesthetics of this group uh which was a trio the last time we did this and uh, though this audience probably knows a little bit about jeff uh they don't know amy meyer so Amy, give us the quick overview on you.
2: Sure. Let's see. The quick word was was tossed in there. Don't. Uh, it doesn't see. have to be quick. It doesn't <laughs> have to be. Quick. So, uh, Amy Meyer. I am um, happily married to Jeff Meyer as of 31 years this year. We're celebrating that. So we're thankful for those years. And I am mother to our beautiful four daughters. I'm also Mimi to our four grandchildren with one more on the way, which makes five. Um, I am a speaker. I have a speaking ministry. I love to travel and speak to different women's organizations. I wrote a book that came out in 2019 called Snapshots and Stories, increasing awareness of God's faithfulness through the practice of journaling. So it's a journaling resource. Um, There are 30 short stories about my life and a scripture verse that accompanies that and then a journal prompt to get the reader to hopefully consider their own life and write about their own story and also discover the benefits and blessings of writing things down to remember them so we don't forget them. I um, also work part-time at our church in our Connecting Lifestyles ministry, helping people connect to community and one-to-one relationships and also finding where they can serve using the gifts that God's given them. Let's see, what else? I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a sister. Um, Yeah, all those things.
0: (laughs) Very, very cool. And Jeff, for those who didn't meet you last time, give us your overview intro.
3: Yeah, I'm married to this lovely lady and um, serve at the church where she works. I've been pastor there since 1998. And uh, also um, have written a book, and my second book is coming out probably within the, well, by the time this episode is out, it'll it's out. <laughs> it's called The Dream Primer, and my first book is called Fear Not, Dream Big, and Execute. Uh, came out of a rather a challenging time when I was ready to hang up ministry and uh, felt that somehow uh, I was not being faithful to myself and who I was. And uh, the church gave me a sabbatical for six months to reconsider. And that's when the book was written. And I really uncovered that my, my dream is to really spark other people's dreams and help them realize them. And it's one of the reasons I've been working with you guys is to help you uh, spark your dream, clarify it and execute on it and make it happen, bring it into the world. Um, we're also right now working on a project called Neighboring Life, which is probably active by now, uh, as you're listening to this episode, which is really exciting. Um, and that's only happening because of our partnership with the Bros. So thank you for that opportunity and that privilege to bring that new venture into the world.
0: Super exciting. Oh, and then the, dream,
3: the Dream Accelerator, I forgot about my business, uh, the dream accelerator, which came out of the book, which actually helps people articulate their dreams and, uh, go get them. So a lot of people don't believe they can turn their passion into a life, uh, and make a living out of it. And we're helping people do that.
0: Amen to that. You said a few things,
1: uh, Amy, I like to write things down. So I'm taking a lot of notes here. Uh, those of you, taken in just the audio, only couldn't see me hold up my page of notes already on this uh, wonderful duo that we have on the podcast today. Um, I already learned some things about Amy, and I've known you for a little while, not quite like Eric has, but um, you have quite a legacy already that uh, speaks to you, and that's only still just growing. Jeff, you said something about neighboring life that I found interesting, kind of takes me back to my childhood, listening to Mr. Rogers, did he say, uh, "Won't you, won't you be my neighbor?"
3: Won't you be my and, neighbor?
1: And I think that that's probably something that I like to believe encapsulates the essence of this podcast. We try to be very neighborly in this podcast, and no, uh, no uh, surprise that we're talking about something like neighboring life and the vision that you both have for that. And uh, just looking forward to kind of getting getting on with this and covering a lot of territory, that Dream Accelerator. Tell us more about that and kind of what what got that started way back when and what are you doing with it today?
3: Well, it, it kind of came out of my reluctance to even write a book um, because I don't believe that books ultimately, and this goes to your, your work in the intelligence industry as well, is that just having more information uh, doesn't produce fruit unless you put it into practice and so the world doesn't need another book they need we need to put into practice the books that we've already read right so I was hesitant to do that and so when I wrote the book I was always thinking in my back of my mind is how do I help people actually put this into practice how do I come alongside of them and provide coaching and support to help them navigate the inevitable uncertainties and obstacles that come up in any entrepreneurial And that's where the genesis of the Dream Accelerator came in. And now uh, it's a hybrid coaching model that we do, and it's a year long process that helps people clarify, really nail down what their dream is, and then execute on it. There's content online available 24 7, weekly coaching by our team, and uh, then also the community aspect of connecting with the other Dream Accelerators. are in the program throughout the course of the year. I don't
0: know if you know this, Derek, but uh, Tina actually went to the last Dream Accelerator, at least the last one that was in person, to my knowledge. Yeah, right Uh,
3: before the pandemic.
0: So my wife uh, is an artist. Uh, She would not call herself a creator, however. Uh, She she calls herself a creativist. Uh, She is a practitioner of creating, is the way she would describe it. Because uh, there's only one creator, uh, in her uh, perspective, and so um, that was really, I think, a helpful example uh, for Tina to be able to just kind of open up about the dream, her dream, and how that dream then is made manifest, you know, in the world. And I am also humbled to say that your Dream Accelerator was a huge opportunity for me. As I recall, sitting in the car on the way to the Milwaukee Yacht Club, uh, and we mm-hmm. ran the very first superiority analysis in the history of anything uh, on the Dream Accelerator and the the then breakthroughs that that's led to over the last, wow, three and a half years or so. Um, yeah. Aurora is a different company as a result of that.
3: Yeah, for sure. That was and an amazing our, conversation, wasn't
2: it? I remember it. Yeah, I was in the backseat taking uh, notes. Because I write stuff down.
3: Because I was driving and Eric's just throwing out all these jabbering, big, big mind-blowing yeah. things. I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? Tell me what that means. And uh it was very helpful actually. It helped it helped uh, us get from iteration one of the dream accelerator to iteration three, and now actually helped us help me be able to negotiate the the unbelievable interrupt that happened when the world shut down last March
2: mm-hmm. um, or yeah. Yeah.
3: 2020, 20, yeah, 2020. <laughs> What year is
1: it? Yeah, um, right. I think you got it right. When you said last March, I would have said this past March, if I meant March of 2021. Yeah. So you, there you, go. You, you meant March of 2020. Oh, <laughs> good. Yeah. I mean, that for those that aren't aware, you know, Eric and I utilize Jeff in uh, some weekly and bi-weekly coaching that we've been doing now for well over a year. And it's been a, a huge difference maker, not only creating and, and driving toward alignment of our s- somewhat separate visions, but, you know, uh, in a perfect world, the, uh, the aligned vision where Aurora is moving toward. And, you know, while keeping uh, realities of current business conditions and practices, obviously, also top of mind. And, you know, it's I remember us having that conversation around how Jeff might be able to help, help, uh, the Joe bros kind of come together in some of those ways. And uh, looking back on that, it was one of the best decisions we ever made or, you know, I think that uh, you probably feel the same. The, the, uh, fog running that we do on this podcast and I'll just kind of tee this up. Um, I think everybody defines running into the fog a little bit differently. Um, what types of fog do you both, and I'll start with Amy, what types mm. of fog do you both encounter on a regular basis, whether it be for yourself or for clients or groups or companies or other mm. um, you know, institutions that you advocate for? What types of fog are you routinely helping them sort of navigate? Amy, mm. would you like to go?
2: Sure. That's a great question. And uh, I was up north at a women's retreat this just this past weekend, and woke up to the lake being completely <laughs> covered in fog. And if you would have asked me, is there a lake back there? I'd say no. There's, there's, there's nothing mm. back there, because you couldn't see it. And then the fog lifted, as fog does. <laughs> and sure enough, there's the lake. And uh, I think that one of the things that I've experienced uh, is um, personal fog for people. Where they get in a pit of despair or discouragement or frustration, mostly in relationships, I feel like, Mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to do it. And um, I guess also would be um, my own husband. Uh, when he suffers with his own discouragement, where stuff's not working, and that never happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. And is this worth it? And why are we doing this? And nothing is working mm. like I want it to. And this isn't making a big of as big of an impact as I want it to. And so to try to uh, listen well through that, not talk him out of it or cheerlead him out of it, which is what I've done for years. That didn't work very good. <laughs> And getting some coaching for myself in that, uh, listening well, and then trying to offer some perspective uh, to what actually is beyond the fog. Um, I, think, I think for a lot of folks, we get, uh, we get short-sighted, right? And we look at the fog and we think there's no way through this, or um, I, I want to give up. And then to have someone come alongside you and remind you of perhaps in the past where you've gone through time like this, how did it come out? What worked well? What didn't, what can we try that we haven't tried? And for me, that happens through journaling. That's how I process. That's how I remember back on, Oh, this is how we were in a spot like this before and, and look how we got through it. And, uh, we forget, we forget how, uh, how far we've come, you know, and we forget what hard things we've been in before. And we get very, very much uh, short-sighted again, like I said, and, and unless we write it down, in my opinion, you're going to forget. Um, so that's, well, that's why,
3: that's why you one of your taglines is uh, right to remember.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Because it actually
3: helps us remember. It, it actually brings to mind things, uh, history, events, Victories.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. Yeah, Eric, didn't you journal essentially all the way through high school? He
2: did. I still
0: journal from time do? to time. My my journaling habits have really changed. You know, I I um I will say that my original journal was a senior uh, English requirement, and it was really difficult to get started. But once I got started, it was really a milestone of my day. And I say that in the sense of there was rhythm to it, you know, that that the day was incomplete until I captured it in a journal entry. That actually went on well into my 30s. Um, So probably 15, 16 years of journaling daily. I still got them. Um, they are locked away until after uh, my death because there's so much naughty stuff that I recorded in those journals that uh, if it if it were ever made public, um, I probably my reputation would never recover. Um, but that's how serious it was to me. It was, um, it was me. It was it was the process of me growing up, and it's captured there. Mm. And one day, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was right after we probably had children. I think we were we were new parents. And uh, I realized I don't need the daily journal anymore because I have something else that will testify to my having lived. I have these children now that will be evidence that I walked the earth and have a, had a life and all that stuff. And so I kind of gave it up for a couple of years entirely. And then I shifted into milestone journaling. So now when I have a big event or a big setback or a big something to write about. um, And I do it electronically now too, so that I can capture images and you know data even there's stuff that's all linked in there. And then I am a very diligent archivist of my agenda and communications. So I I save all that stuff because you never know when you're going to end up in the witness stand. uh, And that comes in pretty handy. Um, And so the Um, My journaling has turned into celebration and mourning from record keeping and cataloging. And I think that's something that I don't quite do it the way you describe in the book, Amy, and I have skimmed your book. I won't say I read it because Tina read it several times, actually. But Tina reads like 10 times faster than I do. So um, that's my excuse. But yes, everyone should journal at least at some point in their life, if not as a consistent rhythm. Agreed. It's a funny Joe bros
1: story. I, I remember being in eighth grade when you were a senior and I'm thinking to myself, I heard about this journal that you were starting and I'm like, I could probably get some good ideas or at least have some, have some, uh, blackmail content yes. uh, to be held over the head. <laughs> My big brother, I could never find that damn journal, no matter how hard <laughs> I tried in his room. And I probably did look for it way back then.
0: Um, <laughs> Well, well, now that my shame has all been burned away, um, it wouldn't do you much good now. <laughs> that's right. But just speak about the children. You take it back to Amy's, you know, comment
1: and just being able to see you light up, you know. Obviously, we're all proud of things like writing books and speaking to groups like what you did this past weekend. But, you know, where you really lit up in your introduction, Amy, is when you started talking about your daughters and your, your grandchildren. And that that's the legacy and, you know, probably is i'm going to assume a, a huge motivation for why neighboring life is such a passion area for you both
3: mm, um, for yeah, Sure, absolutely it's a it's a household endeavor
2: mm-hmm.
3: um we do this we do this work together what's you know and we're tactically doing that our daughter uh kyla is a coach on our dream accelerator team and she's presented with us i actually at uh one of your conferences uh <laughs> She was leading a workshop and in her element, and we just got to sit back and watch that with big, cheesy grins on her face and go, that's our girl, right? It's just really cool to watch them excel. And our other children are doing amazing things in the world. And it all relates to this idea of neighboring and um, dream accelerating and helping other people with their life be more productive and more healthy. So it's just it's a real blessing when you see that theme Mm. woven through the next generation and then now the next generation (laughs) after that. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to ask you a pointed question about neighboring life here in a second. But um, one of the things I discovered probably in my 40s, maybe a little earlier than that, was I'm not um, I'm not measuring my success by how much I accumulate, but by how much I give away. And I think that is part of what being a neighbor uh, means. Who then was a neighbor to this person being this specific, you know, scripture reference from uh, gospel. But the notion that um, the, so one of my sayings is naked I came into the world, naked I shall leave it. And you're welcome for that mental image. Uh, But that there there isn't a whole lot that I'm going to take with me that wasn't uh, spiritually productive, in, in other words. Um, and the point of neighboring life is to attack a core problem. And what is the problem that neighboring life is
3: for? is my question. Yeah, do you want to start? Do you want me to go?
2: You can start. I can fill in. Okay,
3: okay. Um, the core problem is isolation. The core problem is lack of connection, lack of human connection. Um, and the biggest way that we attack that problem is we turn neighbor from a noun into a verb Um, that's why it's neighboring life it's it's about neighboring it's not just about being next to someone it's actually enacting that nextness to someone right putting insight into action i am a neighbor no i neighbor and I need to learn how to do that. And I think our society needs to learn how to do that. Um, that's the big problem that we're trying to solve. What would you add?
2: The other thing I would add is um, reminding people how simple it is, uh, mm. that it and it doesn't really take a lot. So uh, we moved in April of 2020 from our um, home of 23 years, sold it to our daughter, the one with all the children. and. Uh, <laughs> moved into a two and a half, um, apartment, two and a half bedroom apartment. So I don't recommend doing that in the middle of pandemic. Just, just FYI, if you're looking for tips and things, don't do that. It's really hard to meet people. <laughs> so, but we, you know, it started happening and things like that. And, and, uh, we started asking God, okay, you know, who do you want us to meet? We're here. There's a whole bunch of other people here, but we sure don't see a lot of them, you know, and Pretty soon, one by one, you start meeting them. And, and now I would say we have some friends. And, and one lady in particular, I, I bump into her all the time. And uh, she shared with me her husband was going to have some surgery. And I said, well, I'll, I'll write the date down and I'll be praying for him. And she's like, oh, that is really? And I said, absolutely. And so I wrote the date down. And uh, the date came and I prayed for him. And then I had it on my way. And I thought, oh, I was going to put a note on her door. So I went back inside, went back up to the top floor, wrote the note, didn't take me long, taped it to her door and went on my way. Two days later, she stopped me in the parking lot. She came out on her porch and stopped me and said, Amy, that note meant more than you will ever know to me. It started our day out, which was a very difficult day with your kind words and knowing you were praying for me and I didn't feel alone. And you know, it didn't take me any time to write that note. And But, and I could have, I could have just gone about my day and said, oh, well, no big deal. Since then, she's written me a note, put it on my door, thanking me for the note. And now I'm wondering if I need to thank her for thanking me for the (laughs) note, but uh, that's just kind of how it starts to work. Right. And now she's no longer a nameless face behind a numbered door in an apartment building. I know who she is. I care about her. I showed genuine interest in her. And now there's a caring relationship. So. Just an example.
0: What a great new pen pal you've made yourself and a whole lot more there, Amy.
3: Yeah, um, on Neighboring Life's website, we talk about um, that it is way more fun and way more accessible to us than we can even imagine. We tend to make it so big and we just we just don't know each other.
2: You know, it's interesting too, uh, we had a little get together here at our place and we acted like we were in a dorm room and propped our door open and (laughs) had people over. And, uh, but since, you know, then we met a couple people and now when we see them, we can call them by name. And I've heard that the sweetest word to anyone's ears is the sound of their own name. Mm. And to be known and called by name is a gift that we can give to people, but we don't know their name unless we ask, or if we take the time to slow down and appreciate them. And that's one of the things that this gal I was referencing before, she said, I can't hardly get through the grocery store because I stop and I talk to everybody because I know them all by name. And that's treating a person like a person. Mm-hmm. And you can also, you can neighbor in a grocery store, you can neighbor in a coffee shop. If you just treat people like people and see them for who they are and take time to notice them and be with them and just take a genuine interest, the greatest gift we can give to someone is to listen. And we've lost the art of listening. We're all so busy to shoot our own opinion at somebody and tell our own problem instead of just listening. Yeah,
0: that's really special advice. And I'll you know, cite my kid brother as a example of a good neighbor uh, wherever he's lived, as long as I've known him. He's gotten to know his neighbors in ways that I never have, you know, frankly. And um, I remember a few years ago, the place before you where you live now, Derek, and your next door neighbor—I won't mention his name—but he he passed away from a brain tumor. Um, and then the care that you had for his kids and his wife, his widow, um, was just really, really uh, special. I mean, you sort of picked up a lot of the slack that he left in his absence there, and um, that all was modeled for me you know, what a good neighbor means. And I know that when you built your new house, um, I'm guessing, you know, everybody on your street or darn near, uh, and that's not something I can say. But I think that's, that's what you're talking about, Amy, is genuinely caring about the people who spend, you know, most of their life next door.
3: Yeah, the faces matter of the places we inhabit, right? The place we inhabit, we're there for a reason. And it's not just to live. Or to enjoy our time or to make a living it's to interconnect with other human beings um, our world would be a much better place mm-hmm. if we all were able to apply these lessons so i hope that neighboring life over time will become a movement mm-hmm. that literally changes the world that's our that's mm-hmm. what we want to see
0: closing the human connection gap by dispelling right. the relationship. Myth, if I remember that correctly.
3: Yeah, and the relationship myth is that we know each other because we live next door um, or across the street. That's the myth. Uh, We don't really know each other, even in church life. In my experience, it's it's shocking sometimes when someone dies. They've been there every single week, every single Sunday, and you think you really know them, and then you discover you really didn't know them at all where people didn't know each other at all and we don't take time to share our life stories with each other so that's what we're trying to address. Yeah. Right
1: Eric you're very kind with that example you know, the, the, my former neighbor you know, we did uh, have son Zach uh, Berkel is his name he, he interned for a few months with us and now has gone on to a start of a great uh, professional career in the area of supply chain up in the Green Bay, areas. I recall. And, uh, you know, if you're a former Aurora employee or staff member, alumni, you know, you've heard me say it this way you know, once you're in, you're in forever, whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking of people like family members, and in some cases, family, you know, the old saying is, you know, you choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Um, I like to believe that if you do it correctly, you can kind of blend both those principles into one one thing. And you can choose that, you know, lady that you choose to uh, put a handwritten note on her door, you know, on a big day where her husband's about to, to have surgery, or you can be a little bit more intentional about you know, making your neighbor feel like you care about them, or that, you know, you could, you know, count on me to get a package off your steps or, a, you know, something important if you're running behind and your child needs to get in the door coming off the school bus, you know, which I've, I've had that happen for us where you know, I'm at a work conference or my wife is running you know, here to there every day you, know, you might need some coverage for 30 minutes and having neighbors is, you know, that's certainly something that in our little subdivision out here in Wanakeet, Wisconsin, that we value, you know, but it, it transcends that and the digital element of being a good neighbor. You know, one you be my neighbor in the digital world, you know, so too often nowadays, you know, you can, you can feel like you have neighbors, but are they truly people that are genuinely caring about your, you know, well-being and your interest? Or are they simply a number, you know, to say, well, I've got this many followers on Twitter or this many friends on Facebook and that type of thing. And it's quality over quantity. I think is what we're all driving at here, right? You know, and where does that come into play for you both, Amy and Jeff, when you think about, I'd rather have X number of really quality connections Mm -hmm. versus some much bigger number of, you know, numbers that uh, are simply numbers. Any comment there?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's fine Um, if you don't have. No, I I wanted to touch on what you had said about the just even the word friend i think we've we've because of um social media and things and we've got friends on facebook i've got friends on facebook that i don't know who they are because at one point i accepted accepted and there's that word too like what does that even mean right you pushed a button and now i'm accepted and that that is some false you know and and we all need we all need and want to be accepted but is it on a social media platform or is it in a genuine real way and not to, not to disparage. I mean, I think there is some great connections that can be made online. I, I believe that's true, but, and yeah, quality and quantity, it's a, it's a misnomer. I think sometimes, you know, you can go really, really thinly across a lot, or you can go deep with a few and, um, and friendships are, they're tricky. They, we can be hurt by friends. We can be, betra- there's betrayal, there's You know and then we can unfollow right or (laughs) block or whatever in the in the digital world so it's a i think there's some redefining that needs to go on what does it look like to be a friend a neighbor uh how do i care well and love well someone else and and what does that look like i yeah
3: well in the digital world we want quantity Mm You know, we brag about how many thousands of friends we have in our Facebook or LinkedIn, right? Um, We're trying to increase that in the business, in the entrepreneurial world. You're trying to increase that so you have an opportunity to help more people. So you can't possibly know all those people. You can't possibly do that. So at Neighboring Life, we talk about uh, walkable community. Like, and it's walkable we drive through communities we drive through neighborhoods we drive by people all the time in our culture we want people to embrace a walkable community and by that we mean embrace the limitation of that community like and then accept responsibility for it and you know like 1 mile radius around our apartment we have mapped out that's ours that's this is our territory this is where we're trying to um, close the human connection gap as much as we possibly can. Now, if you imagine if people who are part of that neighboring life movement, whether or not they're part of our platform would do that wherever they live. Now we have a chance to make a difference. Yeah. Um, we can only really take care of the place that we inhabit. So at your work or the place you live, that's really what we, what we can control. We can't control the rest of it we can't even control that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Take ownership for it. Yeah. Sometimes I think the
1: quality over quantity, it's not that we don't want quality. We, we simply try to strive for both and in such a fast paced, you know, every minute of every day is spoken for sort of world that we operate in. The only way we can have both is if our friendships kind of go digital and kind of be a little bit more surface level. And, you know, it makes us feel maybe there's some sort of gratification that we gain from that. And, you know, I I don't know that that's exactly the healthiest way to think about it.
0: Well, I'll introduce that, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do with the stakeholder reconnaissance community model of which neighboring life is a, you know, prototypical example is to change what gets measured, uh, because that's the reason why quantity is so in your face is because they don't measure quality. How do you measure the quality of a neighbor relationship? And uh, that's specifically the problem set that from a platform perspective, we're trying to change, you know, that's what open recon SRCs are really all about. And hopefully by the time, you know, you consume this podcast, everybody that you'll understand what that means. Um, And specifically the tokenomics behind incentivizing behavior and incentivizing actions, how those actions become insights um, you have to communicate what actions represent quality, first of all. And that's sort of where we started with neighboring life was, if you remember the conversation a couple of months ago, sort of midsummer, it was make an inventory. Make an inventory of the types of behaviors you're trying to encourage and the different ways those behaviors are expressed or witnessed or made observable. Because until I can figure out how to observe the behaviors you're trying to incentivize, I can't create a token that measures it in a quality sort of way. So Derek, that's Kineticoin. Kineticoin as a non-fungible token system is completely designed to defeat the quantity over quality problem that is present in Web 2.0 by bringing it into the Web 3.0 world and representing really equity.
1: This is where we start to expose how much smarter Big Brother is then little brother. I'm not even sure. I i, I have heard about this kineticoin coin for a long time and I i am starting, I'm continuing to catch up to exactly what that means in a community context. Yeah, the first
3: time I heard non fungible, I thought it was some <laughs> sort of a fungus that was growing on trees, like that the mushroom uh, community w- would be interested in. So, okay. well, it's
0: just a way. So, the uh, long story short, The token utility is it's a way to allocate resources based on uh, a fairer distribution based on people's actual engagement in the community itself, as opposed to their gaming the system or, you know, buying uh, influence, which is traditionally how things are done in the advertising model. For example, however many Google AdWords you decide you want to fund, that's how much influence you have. And in Web 3.0. That doesn't work that way. You can't just buy your influence. You've got to earn your influence based on your contributions, not based on your extractions. And so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that, though this prototype is certainly wrong, as all prototypes are, that in 2022, uh, we'll have this a lot closer to perfect than it is right now.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Thanks to all the names. You want to incentivize
3: incentivize action. You want to incentivize neighboring in in our case and what is neighboring well that's why we came up with the 22 the list of 22 behaviors that could be tokenized right um not to reward you or to you you're a better person because you have tokens but to you mentioned it uh, improve the equity and the you know the the sharing in community based and- on people who are actually in the game
0: and communicate what the community values. That's, I think, the the big upside to tokenomics is that you're able to communicate in an economic way through tokens what is important to the community and its health and prosperity. And that's something that I think we've lost in our human, you know, neighborhood communities. And it's largely because we've gotten so dang selfish. You know, we've, we oh, yeah. we have a hard time thinking about other people and what's in it for them. And we feel like we're so entitled and it's all about, you know, what I've done in comparison with someone else. And it's not the stuff that you own. It's the stuff that owns you, you know, at the end of the day.
3: Well, it's a it's a vicious circle, too, because it's not just that. That we're selfish. It's also that we are yearning. We are yearning for someone to listen to us. See me. And so hear me. Like, when you get together, ah, you, you're just so quick to want to share what you want to share because no one's listened to you so we have to break that cycle and that's the that's the the relationship myth right we've got to break that cycle and someone's got to go first in doing that and so that's what we're trying to do as connoisseurs or provocateurs of neighboring life well and that's
0: that's the good samaritan right the good samaritan saw the need and then acted, not, yep. didn't walk by on the other side of the road. That's not but you know, because the they were, did. But others acted. did, others who were too important or yeah. thought they were. What were you
3: gonna say? Oh, I was just sorry. That.
2: No, that's fine. I was just thinking to another thing that happens for folks when they are isolated and they begin to constantly look at themselves uh, and, they, and they start to feel sorry for themselves or rightly so they're having a really rough time. The quickest way to begin to change that is to help somebody else, right? It's to serve mm-hmm. someone else or listen to someone else. And then all of a sudden, oh, I, I'm not thinking about me as much anymore. And I'm and now I also have made a friend. And all of this, all of this has to be genuine and authentic. And these people that we meet are not projects in any way, shape, or form. They're not projects, they're not mm-hmm. problems to fix, they're people. And they just need to be loved. And that's what we're called to do is to love one another. So,
0: so how about receiving neighboring? Uh, is that something that we need to learn how to do a little better? Oh man! Because we are so strong and independent and can do it all on our own and don't need any help from anybody and, you know, out of my way. Without that, without
3: um, that people become projects. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's It's mutuality.
2: Okay, so I have a little little story. It's a little example. It's with the same gal I've been talking about. But we'd lived here for a whole year. We're in our second year now. Well, anyway, and um, like I said, we lived in our home for 23 years on a cul-de-sac. Like we knew each other really well, all the circle parties, all the fun. And I always know who to call for if I needed an egg or a cup of sugar or whatever. Mutual, you know, running across the stuff across the thing. and And I was here. And I needed barbecue sauce because I went to grill the chicken and I had no barbecue sauce. And I was like, dang it. I and then I was like, wait, I know, I know whose door I can knock on. And so I went down to the second floor and I knocked. And I said, Do you have any barbecue sauce? (laughs) Absolutely. Game of the sauce. And I was like, yes, we've arrived. Like I know who to ask
3: for barbecue sauce. sauce. And that
2: that's a little thing, except it, I ha, I needed help.
3: That's not a little thing. And, it's a token. It's yeah. a token that
0: represents the equity you shared with your neighbor.
3: That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I use a phrase, uh, who's your 2 a.m. friend? Mm, yeah. You know, who are you going to call at two o'clock in the morning when you're in trouble?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And very few people have a 2 a.m. friend. And we want to see that just blow up. Right on.
1: Yeah, the two a.m. friends. Um, you may think you have a bunch of them, but when you sit back and think about it, who would I? Would be top top five on that list.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, great exercise, by the way. Great exercise, yeah. a tokenable exercise.
1: I was going to say, Amy, that that barbecue sauce could be known as the Kinetic Coin barbecue sauce.
3: There you go. Ooh.
1: Right.
2: There
1: you go. <laughs> I don't know. I this is some of you that have listened to this podcast before have heard me talk about a a journey that my wife and I went through, um, surrounding adoption. And we adopted this little guy. I got him home just a few months before the pandemic broke out. November of 2019, we brought Rocky home and I'm sitting here drinking my coffee out of this mug. And if you're congesting or, uh, doing this podcast audio only, you won't see this, but I, This this coffee mug is not one that my wife actually lets me use very often because she loves Mm. it so much. But it's it's a sort of a ridged, cool look to a Starbucks cup that she and I bought on our first trip to Seoul
2: Mm.
1: back in late September of 2019. And it's got all the Korean characters, you know, alphabet, numeric association, and all this stuff. And you know what we did with Rocky? I've gotten so many people that have said, "God bless you. Um, You know, you gave that little boy a life." But it we see it differently and we see it from the standpoint of you know the the neighbor in me thanks the neighbor and his foster mom who who took him in at 6 months of age and raised him until he was just just at a couple of weeks after he turned 2 and you know what's one of the greatest joys for me on a weekly basis is to wake up now and see this friend who I've only on Facebook who I've only spent if I've spent two hours with her total in my entire life, that'd probably be a stretch. You know, she was part of some of those early uh, face-to-face interactions that Allie and I had with Rocky way back when. But, you know, this little guy is about to turn four in a few weeks. And without her seeing her role as a foster mother, as a true neighbor to this little boy, you know, she didn't owe anything to that little boy or the birth mother. And one of my greatest joys is waking up and not just seeing her comment in a really loving way about things that Rocky might have out there on Facebook, but even greater joy is that she's taken an interest in our other kids. Mm-hmm. She commented something about Benji going to homecoming this past weekend, and it's just amazing the effect you can have, whether or not you're able to run downstairs, you know, through the stairwell and go get that physical barbecue sauce, or you know, some of the digital kinetic coin or barbecue sauce, you know, metaphor that you can, that you can add to somebody's journey through this life a in a way that's positive. And it's, yeah, I hope that, uh, maybe those listening to this podcast will feel a little bit inspired to, you know, not treat, um, you know, some big group of friends that they have might maybe online in, in a way that's disingenuous or. You know, uh, in a way that isn't quite as engaging, you know you can still be engaged. and I love that people do this already, and I'm not saying that's this is a bad characteristic of environments like Facebook, but you know there's more that we can give, and there's more that we can give both of ourselves and you know uh, helping others sort of get through this journey of life that we all have. I don't know. I felt inspired to share a little bit more you know about yeah. that uh, with my boy's foster mother, who I yeah, you know, I, I wake up on a regular basis, just hoping that you know she lives a long life and I can take him back to soul someday and let him, you know, thank, uh, thank her himself.
2: That's awesome.
3: Yeah. There's a certain vulnerability in all that, Derek, you know, to share your life with someone else to open up. And a lot of people are afraid. And that's, this goes back to the, my work with the dream accelerator. We help people mm-hmm. turn, um, turn fear as a an obstacle into a into a source of fuel to launch the dream um to actually shift it and so a lot of people are afraid of being vulnerable they've been hurt um but the blessing on the backside of that far outweighs the hurt if we allow ourselves to just let our guard down and be real with people
0: It's a great lesson. And um, a couple of weeks ago, Derek and I were uh, on the campus at Concordia University of Wisconsin in Mequon, where um, Amy and I were stumbling around the first floor of the plaster building two years ago, right about now, a little later in the fall, maybe than than right about now. And the building still smelled like a new car, uh, so to speak. Uh, It was brand new. And as I recall, Amy and I, uh, Jeff was up getting the room ready and everything. And Amy and I were looking for breakout space. And uh, we noticed there's this gigantic man in this room that had stuff everywhere. And it was just completely disheveled and looked like a bomb went off in there. And he stuck his head out and said, hey, you guys lost? And I think I said, Kind of. It might have been you, uh, Amy. and I, I. But I do remember I said, hi, I'm Eric. What's your name? And his name is Mike, Mike Littman, uh, and chairman of the computer science department at Concordia. And he was setting up what then turned into the largest 3D printing laboratory in the Midwest. Um, but it didn't look like much when we were walking by two years ago. Uh, of course, it turned out that he was 3D printing uh, N95 masks a couple months later for pandemic supply chain that was had no PPP uh, into the hospital and healthcare world in southeastern Wisconsin. But um, I was back there again a couple of Wednesday nights ago doing really what's become a recruiting trip, um, inviting students who have an interest in what it is we do to apply to become interns and join the growing ranks of the Falcons uh, who have accrued to Aurora over the last two years. uh, And there's more in the pipeline. And one of those young men, the very last kid I talked to uh, that evening, approached me And said, almost kind of through tears, he had heard something that I had said earlier, and it was something to the effect, this isn't a direct quote, but I said something to the effect of, what do you have to lose? I mean, if you don't know how to do something, do you think I knew how to do all this stuff the day I started Aurora? I didn't even know what most of this stuff was. Um, So give it a try. What's the worst that can happen is you pick yourself up off the ground and try it again or decide that wasn't all that important to begin with, and you move on to the next thing. But um, he approached me and said, how'd you deal with the fear? Mm. And I said, that's a really important question, dealing with the fear. And I quoted you, Jeff, in terms of turning the fear into fuel and using that fuel to help you take small risks, risks that aren't you know, self-reputationally you know, immolating, so to speak, that you know, allow you to try again. Risks that are small enough that if you fail, your life doesn't come to an end. Your reputation isn't shot. You don't feel you know, so bad about yourself that you don't try it another time. Or have the attitude that you're winnowing, you're trimming. You're, you, you've got too many options and you need to test out all the ones that are probably wrong in order to get them out of the you know, macro environment that you're trying to deal with so you can actually focus on the things that you can control, to your point. So I don't know any other advice for a young man who's probably 18 uh, trying to make a career for himself and, you know, just kind of fell off the turnip truck. Take yourself back to your 18 year. Well, you knew what you were going to do for a living. I don't think this kid does, but any advice on how to deal with the fear, you know, when you're 18 or 19 years old and you're trying to figure out, boy, I'm scared of failure. Well, I'm scared of success.
3: Um, fear is a great hider. It it hides behind other things. So first thing I would encourage them to do him to do is um, well, he'd come to the dream accelerator and we could help him with this, but um, first thing he should do is uh, analyze, think about what is really, what is really behind the fear. Cause fear is just a blanket that covers a lot of things. Is it doubt? Mm. Is it delay? Is it distraction? What is it? What? what is the core of that? We talk about in the Dream Accelerator, the five killer Ds. We help you analyze which one is the primary. And then based on that, you can actually flip it. You can actually flip it and use it as fuel. So it's not just philosophical, it's actually practical. The other thing I would say is once once they've done that and figured out what it is, then embrace Embrace this idea of experimenting, and you just said take small step, take small risks. Just embrace life as an experiment. Let's give this a shot. What's the worst that can happen, and what can I learn from that? And then, and it goes back to your initial question about fog, um, and where we see fog in our entrepreneurial ventures. Um, Amy used the illustration you can't see the lake because it's covered in fog but then the fog lifts well the only way the fog lifts is if you sit there long enough or you start you start running into the fog once you start taking steps into the fog you can see it opening up and so there is opportunity in taking those steps so i would encourage that young man to be thinking about what might those next steps open up for me that I didn't even know were there prior. Um, we miss out on so much of what life has to offer because we are, we just don't take the step and it's not going to open up for us on its own. We actually have to take the step. Mm. So that would be my encouragement yeah. to him.
0: Anything to add to that, Amy or Derek, for that matter. And by the way, I'll, I'll quote our mother uh, telling, Another basketball uh, kid uh, when uh, Jeff played basketball at Concordia, obviously, and uh, I recall mom telling Derek that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, and no truer words were ever spoken. That's it.
2: She was a wise woman. Who raised two really cool sons. Oh, sure, her other
1: her other saying was by the way, I brought you into this world, i gonna take, take you out. I'll take you out. So she she Don't was worry a, about it. she was a re- she was a really kind I have a saying mama bear like uh, mentality uh, uh-huh. with us boys, but she was she Don't was not afraid her. to uh let us know what she thought of our decisions. If maybe maybe she's uh somehow uh, reviewing all these notes
0: that are put in high school <laughs> journal yeah. right back when. I hope not, or it's going to be really <laughs> embarrassing someday when we meet again. But I, I will say that you know uh, that that's the thing about um, having had someone that raised you that way. You know that raised you uh, to have respect for people, and you know there was I, I there are no more fear-inducing words. Speaking of fear then when our mom would say how dare you talk to my husband that way and and you're like wait a second uh he's more important to you than i am and and if you had asked her that she'd say yes (laughs) and boy my blood just kind of chilled just remembering that it only happened a couple times but man it got me back on the straight and narrow quick
1: i did it's been such a great conversation maybe uh, as we wrap up you know how do people find you both Amy and Jeff and communicate with you and you know have a chance to engage and you know be your yeah. neighbor
2: yeah i have a website org, and Meyer is m e y e r and on there is my contact info uh email and follow me on uh, my instagram is a little bit difficult to to spell but it's Eucharistea 1000 and uh Yeah, I'd love to connect or speak to a group or help with journaling workshops or however else I could help.
3: Yeah, Uh, you can find uh, me, jeffmeyer.org, same spelling, M E Y E R. And you can uh, get access to my books and also to the Dream Accelerator through the website there. And then uh, neighboringlife.com as well is our platform for living the neighboring life. Mm How fun.
0: Well, great job again, Derek, on this 26th, I think, podcast together and running into the fog uh, has never been better. And I wouldn't want to do it with anybody but you, old brother. Um, So and thank you, Jeff and Amy. What a great conversation and so excited to introduce the audience now to Amy. Uh, So go out and follow Amy and see what she's up to.
1: Thank you. Thank while, you're, while, your, while your Instagram uh, might be tough to spell, we'll make sure we get it in the show notes. Everybody has it correct. <laughs> yeah, good. thank you. Thank you both, Eric. It's uh, my privilege and honor to do this podcast with you and Amy and Jeff. Thanks so much for coming on. Running into the fog. See you next time, everybody.
0: Have a great week. Bye for now.